Good morning. My name is Erin Nasmith, and I am a member of the Plaza Midwood Community Group and also serve as a woman shepherd here. This morning's reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. This is the word of the Lord. All right. You may be seated as you're sitting already. Um, don't you just love it when um, our scripture readers basically preach the gospel to us as the word of God stands, um, as he reminds us the great mystery of the gospel. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord, church. We're glad you're joining us this morning. Welcome, Shiloh Fellows. We're glad that you could join us as well this morning. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we continue our sermon series in First Timothy this morning. And before I delve into 1 Timothy, um, again, I want to mention this, these are hard teachings. There are lots of debates that happen over these topics, and it's not an easy topic to address by all means. And I want you to all know that our heart, and our hearts, not just want you to know, but we want to know one another, that our heart is to continue to wrestle in these uh, topics with you. And our goal is to be faithful to the scriptures, as scripture teaches us, but also continue to humble ourselves and listen and to learn. Um, and I didn't get to share this quote last week, but as an author of the Sexual Reformation, Amy Bird, she writes, many years after the Reformation, the phrase Ecclesia Reformada, Semper Reformanda, meaning the church reformed, always reforming, developed. Why? Because of our proclivity to sin, our tendency to sin and corruption, the church continuously needs to evaluate our proclamations, theology, and actions according to Scripture. Because of corruption and sin, she says, we'll always be reforming, in a sense. But do we still believe this? Do we believe this, church? If we do, we shouldn't be shocked to find that what we have major blind spots in the church 
and have unintentionally adapted some of our own cultural baggage in the way we read and apply Scripture now. And I think she's right on. She's right on. Uh, And echoing Amy Bird, I believe I can confidently say that this is our church's posture. That me, you, all of us will continue to approach this topic with humility, with desire to learn, learn under God's teaching more than anything else. Let's wrestle in this together. Amen? Amen. We're back in 1 Timothy today, and today we ask the question, so if the church is gathering of God's people who are saved by God's grace, saved for God's grace, and if God is going to disciple of all nations through the church as a purpose of the church, the question is, how do we do that? How do we disciple God's people um, through the church of Christ? An answer, of course, is in the scripture. Jesus tells us that, doesn't he? In John chapter 13, 34 to 35, when he says, So now I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simple as that, isn't it? If we love one another, the world will know that we are Christ's disciple. But the question is, preach it, pastor. But how do you show it? How do you do do that? How do you show that kind of love to the watching world? And again, we have to remember the context those verses were spoken in. What is happening in John chapter 13 is we find disciples bickering, fighting, arguing on their way to their supper, and about what are they arguing about? They're arguing about who is the greatest. Well, I'm greater than you are. I'm greater than you are. And watching each other to see who will wash the dirty feet without any servants present because serving and washing the feet were for the lowly, right? But what does Jesus do in that midst? Rather than being served, he gets on his knees to wash the feet of disciples and serves them instead. And eventually, he gives his life for his disciples to serve and to save. To not only tell them, but to transform the disciples into disciples who will serve others. That is the context in which he tells them to love one another. How? By serving. By giving of themselves. What we find in the verses that we come across in 1 Timothy 3 is a call to an office of deacon or diaconate, as we say. Deacon, or in Greek, diakonos, can also be translated as to serve or to wait upon, like a waiter at a restaurant, or to attend to a need. I believe at the heart of this call is the call to demonstrate, to show the love of Christ to one another. So the world will know that we are God's disciples. At the forefront of that is this heart of a deacon, to serve. An office of deacon is to demonstrate love for the community by serving, by giving of themselves. I believe the office of deacon is one of the most unseen people in the church Today, you probably heard, especially because our denomination is Presbyterian, presbyters, elders. We talk a lot about that, right? But oftentimes, deacons are not often talked about in the church, perhaps by design, but they are often the first people in line when there is need in the church that rises. 
But in the day and the age when the world is asking the church today, how relevant are you to us? What does the church have to do with my life today? Perhaps the ministry and the heart of a deacon may be most needed more than ever, more than ever before, more than just teaching, perhaps showing the love of Christ is needed more than ever. And today's text is, of course, about qualification of what it means to be a deacon, an officer. But I believe this heart and the ministry is not only confined to this office, but is calling for all of us as well. Because 1 Peter 4.10 reminds us, each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve, diakonos, same word is used there, others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. All of us are called to diakonos, to serve others as God's way of grace, way of showing love to the world. So as we delve into this qualification and the call of the office of the deacon, my invitation is for us to follow the examples of the diaconate, the deacons, in serving, thus loving, and sharing the gospel of Christ. The question again is, how does the church of Christ show her love to the watching world. The first way is by being loved by the Lord. By being loved by the Lord. Several weeks ago, I know that we shared about the uh, death of Mr. Charles, our long-standing member who was with us from the neighborhood theater to this place, uh, who particularly loved our children, loved the stories of where he would prepare the night before all the dollar bills so he could give out to children so they could drop it in the offering basket. And many, um, many of us have the fond memories of him doing so. And I had the privilege of attending the funeral, and at this funeral, the moments were shared, right? People got up and shared their stories of Mr. Charles, and a lot of the stories actually talked about his love for the children. Amongst many that got up to share was one of our own, one of our own members got up, and she shared, well, I was one of those babies. I was one of those babies that received the dollar bill every morning as Mr. Charles gave them to me, and I was touched and was loved by him well. You know what's amazing, too? When I first came to Christ Central, she was one of the most loving person to my child, as well as many children in our church. Her smile and her enthusiasm towards the babies of the church and the children of the church was so infectious. What I saw was love stems from being loved first. Being loved is at the heart of the call of a deacon. What we see in today's verse, similarly to the call of the office of elder, is the call of the office of deacons is filled with various qualifications. Verse 8 says, in the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. He must engage, manage his children and household well. Again, the qualification centers not on what you have or what you can do, what you have done lately, whether it is focused on someone's character, or we could also say whether you are Christ-like or not, as we saw last week. It says deacons are supposed to be honorable, 
reputable. They are to have integrity, saying one thing and keeping it, not gossiping, but being credible to others. They're also not to be addicted to alcohol, not saying they cannot drink alcohol, but don't drink too much of it to lose control of yourself, not be greedy with money. And in verse 12, when it says he must manage his children and household well, this is not saying your children have to absolutely obey you, or none of us can be deacons, right, here? Um, nor you have to have children, right? That's not what it's saying either. Again, you have to look at in this context, because the first century church, the early church, did not meet in spaces like this, but rather they met in people's homes. Thus, it was harder for them to compartmentalize how you are at home and how you are at church. So I love it, actually, sometimes when we hear the babies crying in the background, when the children running around, because that's life, isn't it? Like, when can we actually put them aside, besides when they go to school, right? <laughs> when, when can we put them aside and say, wait, let me pray first and let me get to you later? That doesn't happen. And that's exactly what was happening in the church. So what Paul is saying is look for consistent people with integrity and character by observing how they behave with those closest to them. As they say, the character is who you are when no one's looking. Here, as in their family. That's what Paul is saying here. One more. Later on, he says, in the same way, verse 11, and this is where it gets controversial as well. It says, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful to everything that they do. Well, the word here, their wives, is translated in the NLT version that we read and some of your versions of the Bible, um, could also mean woman in its original language. Many scholars, of course, debate this matter to see if the office of deacon belongs to men exclusively or women as well. Some of us came from a church with female deacons. Some of us have come without female deacons. Some only deacons and no elders, right? Uh, some only pastors. That means the church that you have come from, experience you have, the church tradition, decided on the interpretation of the wording, not only here, but in the Bible when it comes to these officers. The question is, what do we believe as a church, as a Christ-centered church? Well, I believe these two sayings have their strong exegetical, meaning the study of the scripture reason behind it, meaning you could read it both ways. Some say their wives is more strong indication due to the common term of their wife and woman that was interchangeably used at the time, at the, uh, in the usage of the language in the time of the first Timothy, so you could use their wives. Some others say, actually, the woman is best because when you parallel this qualification to that of the elders, well, elders' wives are not put to this test. Why are deacons' wives put to this test, right? It doesn't seem like, it's a, it's a, it seems to be a stretch to include deacons' wives' qualification when we don't include elders' wife qualification. In addition, the qualification of respected, not slandering, self-control, and faithfulness seems to mirror that of the male deacons. Either way, there's lots of good reason behind it, lots of good exegesis study of the scripture behind it. Lots of people did their PhDs, and they make a life, life living behind this, right? So I'm not here to debate one or the other is better than they are not. But the most important thing, both readings with their respective reasonings, highlight the importance of the woman's role in the ministry of the diaconate. In serving and loving others, we see the importance of having women's role in it. So at Christ Central Church, as you know, we have deacons. We also have 
deaconesses. We come to the conclusion because of these reasons. We echo Paul's emphasis on the importance of woman's role in this, as the scripture highlights it, in demonstrating God's love for God's people. Furthermore, we see evidences, strong evidences of deaconesses serving in a role in the church throughout its history. Pastor J.A. Matters, in his article, Why Have Women Deacons, cite that early church in 111 AD, um, the governor of Bithynia reported questioning under torture to women who called themselves deaconesses concerning Christian rights. So at the end of the apostles' time, the generation had deacons. As he writes, these are churches that were planted by the apostles. Those who were discipled by apostles seem to have deaconesses. These and other historical evidences of the 2nd and 3rd and 4th century of the church, but most importantly, the scripture's backing of the importance of women's role in loving and serving the church is the reason why we make the case for female deaconesses to serve alongside male deacons. One last point about the requirement we see here is one of the most intriguing qualifications we find in verse 9. It says the deacons must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. What does, that talk, what does that mean? That means although the deacons are not required to be able to teach, they are to do two things well. First, they are to know what you believe, right? Especially in light of the false teaching at the time, deacons must know the mystery the good news of the gospel very clearly because out of the knowing the good news of the gospel overflows serving others, as we'll see in a little bit. But second, as we say, not only know what you believe, the qualification deacon is also practice what you believe. And that's what it means by must live in a clear conscience before the Lord. Not only know, but live it out. This great mystery of our faith, as Paul says, expounded further in the great confession in verse 16 when he says, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in the human body, vindicated by the Spirit, who was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to the heaven in glory at the heart of it to simply, first and foremost, an office of deacon must be someone who is a Christian someone who follows Christ, as cliche as it sounds, both inside and out. A deacon, at foremost, must be someone who is saved by the grace of God. This Christ who took on human flesh, who is the Savior, who is the promised one, and he loves you, and you love him. And when you believe in this truth, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus will rise again, you hold on to this great and glorious mystery and live like it, then you're qualified is one of the qualifications of being a deacon. And that's who a deacon is, as we find in the scripture. If you're a person filled with this truth, then you bear fruit in accordance with it. Fruit of the Spirit, the character that is outflows out of the fact that Christ's likeness flows through you. And here what we find is that when you're loved by the Lord like this, you can help but to bear fruit and you overflow and in order to do so again, you must be loved by the Lord first and foremost. Church, again, I'm not saying all those who follow Christ are called to be in the office of deacons. 
or to serve or to love like that. There are few who are not only called internally but heart, in the heart, but also confirmed by the church, and we ordain, we set them apart, and we appoint them and commission them. But I believe what the Scripture also teaches us, according to 1 Peter 4.10, it reminds us is that all of us, if you're truly, first and foremost, loved by the Lord, transformed by the gospel truth, then our calling is also to serve others like it. If you hold on to the mystery of the gospel in your hands and say, this is my faith, then the logical outflow is to serve like it. But make sure the order is there. You must first be loved well in order to love others well. And that's what we see, church. A deacon that is loved by the Lord. How do we show love? Not only being loved, showing people how we are loved by the Lord, but also be loving to the Lord. Be loving to the Lord. Uh, for the past several weeks, we have highlighted various community engagement ministries in our church. Um, do you know that we have a community engagement team that actually wrestles with these things? You could join them. You could meet with them. You could pray with them. You could get involved with them. And I'm often struck by the heart of those who are involved in it and the heart that they display in it, whether it is the heart of justice, as the Charlotte Justice Conference is coming up, the heart of justice to see the good done in the city, seeking the welfare of the city. Whether it is the, the, the heart to mentor, to guide the young souls and young hearts of what we saw in Charlotte Fellows today, as well as to form and to transform the perspective, the view of what it means to work through Charlotte Faith in Work or desire to mentor and tutor, invest in young children to stop the prison, uh, to, uh, what is that called? Something to prison pipeline? The school to, yeah, school to prison pipeline. To stop that is by tutoring. At the heart of it all is the heart math tutoring, right? At the heart of it all, I love the heart behind it. Have you talked to those guys after church? Asking them why, why do you want to do that? And do you know what you find often? Oftentimes, the testimonies of these mentors, hosts, the volunteers are quite similar, aren't they? They have different stories, but often it follows a similar logic. They often say, well, I was once mentored like this. Well, I was once a fellow like them. Well, I was once in need. Well, I was once tutored. I was reached out. Most of all, I was loved by the Lord. And most often, through the loving that they experienced, I can't help but to love others. I can't help but to turn a blind eye. I cannot turn a blind eye, I mean, and to have the heart for the city. I must invest in young people's lives. I must talk about what it means to live out my faith in workplaces. I must mentor the students because Christ's love has overcome my heart, and I cannot help but to be loving to those around me. Out of the overflow, you can help but to love, be loving by Lord's grace and mercy, is what we see at the heart of the office of a deacon here as well. You know, the office of deacon has roots in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is when the apostles appoint deacons for the first time. It reads in chapter 6, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, this is right after Jesus ascends to heaven, there were rumbling of discontent. Don't you love church, right? Right after Jesus ascends, we're like, all right, we're ready to go. And guess what happens? Rumbling happens. People are discontent. 
welcome to Church of Christ. If you are thinking, well, 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 I want to find a church that's like amazing and perfect, look at Acts chapter 6. The first church has rumblings, right? Welcome to church. Um, the Greek-speaking believers complain about the Hebrew-speaking believers. Nothing new under the sun, right? Saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. Uh, they're not saying they don't care about it. They're just saying their focus in the calling is here. I know sometimes when we read it, we're like, they don't care? They should care, right? They do care. That's why they do this, right? And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Real quick point, don't you love it? There's conflict in the church, and people come together, they pray, ask God, and God uses that somehow. That's the beauty of church. Although one can argue the original seven in Acts is not acting as deacons in strict sense of First Timothy's definition of deacons here. But what we can glean from is that original seven's heart and the intent of the apostles reflect what the deacons ought to embrace in First Timothy 3. And Acts 6 duties can be summarized as this. Deacon's heart was take, care, take well care of those who are in it, in the community first and foremost. Or another way to say is to manage God's household in finances and the needs that rise within. There are to call first and foremost to manage, to love God's household in finances and the needs that rose within God's community. And that type of service and care can simply be translated again as deacon's duty to love well to be the loving hands and feet of Christ to those who are in God's community, to care for people equally in justice, to care for the needs, the mercy needs of the church, to manage the food distribution and finances. This original seven worked alongside apostles not only to let church grow in learning of God's word, but living through God's word in the community. Not only they focus on learning about God's theology, but how it works itself out in the community, so that community can be loving to one another. And they did that first and foremost by being loving, by being the hands and feet of Christ to those who are in need, especially as we see the newcomers of faith, the Gentile, widows, the outsiders, the marginalized. They did this out of love for God's people. That's at the heart of office of deacon, serving by proclaiming the gospel, serving by dying to one serve, serving by literally serving food, serving by loving others. Do you know what happens, church, when that happens? Do you know what happens when the church does that? There are so many formulas out there we can learn about discipleship, church growth. But look at verse 7. When that happens, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted to. People not only heard the gospel, the word of God that was taught that saved them. And we need that. 
we need to proclaim God's word. But they also saw the word of God living and active in and through the hands of deacons impacting the lives of the community and the church grows. I love the fact that church growth happens not only through the preaching but through the living it out. It says even the Jewish priests, those who persecuted the people, persecuted the apostles themselves, saw this. They were the ones that arrested them and said, don't do it. They saw this. They were impacted by this community and their charity, and they joined them. They joined them. And that's why Paul says this formula will work. In verse 13 of today's text, those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Being the loving hands and the feet of Christ will work, Paul is saying. People will be ministered, Paul is saying. This is how to manage God's household, simply as that. Love people. Love well. Love one another. Why can we not get that at times, church? We bicker so much about theology, what to do, who gets to come in, what to fight for, what ideology is threatening us. But we often forget these are people God has brought to us to love, to be loved, to receive love from in the way they were created, in the way that we are created, so that you and I could picture the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the church of Christ, so that God's church can grow. After all, Apostle Paul knows this, doesn't he? He also experienced the power of deacons and their sacrificial ministry. Did you hear about one of the guys in the original seven in chapter six? His name is Stephen, a deacon at that. Acts 8 tells us Saul, the former name of Paul, approved Stephen's execution. He was right there when he saw it happen. And as a result, he saw the spread of this community scattered by persecution, led by apostles and deacons. And oh, how ironically, he's the one who is doing the same. He became the preacher to the Gentiles, now told them to install the very office of deacons he persecuted and even killed. Out of his testimonial of the impact of a life that was given, an act of a deacon, Stephen, Paul now says, install deacons. May that live that out. It has impacted my life. It will impact your life. And church will never be the same again. In verse 14 through 16, this great confessional statement, Paul gives how the church, the house of God, church of living God will continue to testify the great mystery because the, by the love of Christ displayed by the community of believers, the world will know who we are following after all. That's why he concludes this section by saying, I'm writing these things, church. I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you. Basically saying, I love you so much that I want to be there so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God together. This is the church of living God which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth 
Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith that the deacons ought to hold dearly in their heart. Christ was revealed in the human body, vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by the angels, announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken heaven in glory. Church, I believe this is the heart of what a deacon should be. And not only for the officer of deacons and deaconesses of Christ Central Church, but this is the heart of love that we ought to show as the Church of Christ. Apostle Paul reminds us and shows us that through this life, through his life, as well as through the life of Stephen and the seven and the deacons, most ardent persecutor of Christ, Apostle Paul now says, God was able to overcome. He will use the most unlikely source, bickering church, to transform the world with the gospel news. You know, one of the traditions at Christ Central Church is whoever is preaching on Sunday gets to be out by the door, almost like a greeter on the way out. And we love that. I actually grew up like that in my faith tradition, that oftentimes it was a pastor who stood by the door. So when I came to Christ Central, I loved that. Because most churches I grew up in, besides my immigrant church, pastors never did that. So I love the heart that we have for that. Because not because a preacher represents all, but we just want to see you, right, on the way out and say hello. And we have many conversations. Oftentimes I'm asking your name for the thousandth time. Apologize for that. It's hard, right? After COVID, I just don't know if I met you or not. Um, and some of you have met me online for about three months. I don't know, but you know me, right? Because uh, I talk a lot about my family too. But one of my favorite things, people say all kinds of stuff on the way, right? They say pray for me or they say hello, good to see you, thank you. One of the favorite lines of them all. I love hearing this when people walk out. They're like, hey, pastor, great sermon. I didn't hear it. I was in the back with the kids. I'll hear it later. I'm like, well, how do you know it was great, right? <laughs> like, do you just, yeah. Well, how do you know if it's really bad or not? But they say, it's great. Oh, I didn't hear it. I love that. Absolutely love that. You know why? Not because they value the word of God and they're going to listen to the preached word later. Not because they assumed there was a good sermon. <laughs> Thank you, but we don't know, right? But more so, more so, because these volunteers, you are in these classrooms. The heart of service. The heart of love. Not given an extra compliment not given a pat on the back, nor earthly reward was given because you volunteered to serve in nursery or children's church that day or youth ministry. But all in it together with the vision of loving our children, discipling our children seriously. On top of that, what we believe at Christ Central Church is that we don't see our children's ministry, our youth ministry, nor nursery ministry it's only a service that you have to do to keep this service running. We don't believe that, right? Well, we believe that these ministries that are happening outside of this room is in itself act of worship. Also, serving them is an act of worship. So the worship church is not just merely congregational singing. Worship isn't just sitting and listening to what the pastor had to say that day. Worship isn't just filling up and lifted because of the gospel frees you. Yes, amen to all that. You need all that, right? Yes, as we talked about, it is important to be loved first. Hear the word of God preached to us. Yes, but also in response to that, the worship is also loving others, loving those within, loving our community, being the hands and feet of Christ. Amen? amen. 
And ultimately, worship is loving others out of being loved by our God so that this church of Christ, the definition of church, is a place where we love one another. So you serving in children's ministry, you serving in nursery, you serving in youth, welcome, whatever it is, is not only a sacrifice of this, in itself is an act of worship that is pleasing to the Lord. Even if you don't hear my sermon that Sunday, you have worshiped the Lord. God has seen your heart. And I believe that is what we're called to be, a place where we can learn to love like that. Our children, our teenagers, singles, young, old, married, widowed, divorced, separated, confused, hurting, heartbroken, marginalized, you all belong here at the foot of the cross, and you're loved by the Lord. And those who have been loved first want to not only preach Christ crucified because he loves us, but practice Christ crucified by being hands and feet of Christ. This is the great mystery, church. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by the angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world by the testimony of church and taken to heaven in glory. And guess what? He's coming back. Let's pray. Let's pray. Church, let's pray. Perhaps we ought to pray for our children's workers today as I had a chance to walk by. Lots of tears being shed by babies that are being separated as if parents are not coming back. I promise them I'll keep it short. Mommy and daddy's coming back. Let's pray for them. We love them, don't we? Don't we love them? Don't we love our children? Don't we love our youth? We were once a child Once children's ministry, kids, teenagers, we were one time. Let's pray for them, pray for us. Let's learn to love well. Father, teach us that. There will not be a church that's focused on what I'm getting today. But as we are loved by the Lord, we need to be healed and first and foremost, for sure, yes, Lord. But in response, help us to love others well, especially those who are on the margins, often forgotten, Help us to be a church that gathers to scatter, gathers to love, gathers to demonstrate the love of Christ from the youngest to the oldest, to those who are unseen. As you see the, the deacons and deaconesses that are called to be at the forefront, help us to follow their lead and not only learning, but living out the testimony of the gospel, the great mystery of the gospel that we hold dearly in our hearts. May that be true of Christ Central Church and Churches of Christ so that, Lord, your testimony will continue on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.